All right, so my name is Rebecca Duport. I am currently the director of the DCE program at Concordia Irvine, and I've served as a DCE in congregations from Kentucky, Arkansas, Florida uh, for 15 years before moving into the university setting where I've been for the last five years. So it is a fun, exciting challenge to um, work just with young adults, basically, like this Yav Orange Nation. That's what I get to do every day. Um, but also the, the challenge in that is I don't really know their family system and where they're coming from. So that's a big change from working in the congregations where you are and you're serving with those teens and you also have a connection and relationship to the home and you get to understand that system and kind of what baggage they're bringing to youth group all the time, right? So I'm excited to be here. It's a privilege, it's an honor uh, to speak to you and I just pray that this time can be beneficial for you and we're going to, um, we're really just gonna push through this until the YAV opens the doors and says you'll have to get out. So we're just gonna go as long as we can, okay? Um, this is an exciting NYG for me because two of my own children are here, and so that's a new transition for me. I have a 17-year-old and a 14-year-old son here, and then my nine and six-year-old boys are home with their father, who is also a church worker, um, a Lutheran teacher at St. John's in Orange, and so we hail from Southern California and all that good, fun stuff that goes with it. So it's a great, exciting time to be here, but also in uh, talking with you and, and having this journey as ministering to youth and um, also being a parent who has those teenagers that still, they're, they're good kids that can make bad choices, um, but also struggle with a lot of the same things that maybe we dealt with, but there's a lot of other influencers in their life that we didn't deal with when we were them. Come on in, we've got some chairs. Your friends have all scooted over so you can sit in the front row. We got three seats right here. Come on down. So today, as we get started, I want you to keep these two questions kind of in the forefront or the back background of your mind a little bit, is um, what led you to work with teens? Just think about that. What led you to work with teens? Maybe you're sitting here because you got voluntold to come to the, <laughs> to the NYG, or maybe you are that, that pastor who says, I've, I've got to take them because no one else will, right? Um, but we want to also look at our perspective that I get to take these kids and be with 21,000 of their best friends. Come on down, we've got seats over here. Or I get to stand in line for an hour and a half for lunch. Or I get to um, have my backpack break, right? So I get to have these wonderful experiences. So a lot of that is about perspective, um, but I want you to really be thinking about what led you to work with teens. Um, and if by work, I mean it is work, whether you're paid a salary full time for that or whether you are volunteering in addition to the time you're giving 40 hours a week. Um, you are working, you are giving time to working with teens. And the second question is what do you enjoy most about this age group? And so being here without a, a group that I'm a char in charge of, it's been fun to reconnect with some of my former groups. And then I know their parents still, because we have those connections. And to send a picture to one of my friends the other day of their son just having a great time at Toby Mac, right? And the text that I got back from her was, oh my gosh, he's dancing and smiling? <laughs> and I thought, well, why wouldn't he be? I mean, I know it's been five years since I've seen the kid, and there's a difference between when you're nine to when you're 14. There's a big change that happens, right? But I responded to my girlfriend, and I said, I love teenage Kelton. Teenage Kelton is awesome. He's been talking to me all day. And she's like, really? 
He never talks to us. So it's that reminder, too, that, you know, we get an insight into teenagers' lives that parents don't get to experience. Or if you have teenagers yourself, you know that other adults have poured into your child's life or seen things and said things to you like, wow, you have a really neat kid. And you're like, well, look at his bedroom, you know? <laughs> um, but we also don't want to discount that stuff. But just to say, you know, what is it that you like most about teenagers? And maybe it's just... The, the little quirkiness about them. We know what we don't like and what irritates us, and we've heard it maybe out of our own mouth or other adult leaders here at the gathering, that the agitation's running high or the whole group is hangry, and so we know what those things are. But let's remind ourselves today, what is it that we love most about the teenagers? So moving on, I want to infer, affirm you that you are truly special to these teens, and you have a role and a position in their life that not everyone gets to see and experience. And so you truly are special to them. So affirm yourself, be filled in knowing that you play a very important part in their life. So I hope this time together we can equip you with some skills um, or just give some refreshers to some of you about how we create some healthy boundaries in that and how we know how to counsel and where to seek additional help in what the issues that they share with us. So maybe one of these teens you can resonate with in your own experiences. Maybe this looks like your entire youth group, or maybe this is how you feel. But this, we're talking about some of our kids that are dealing with some crises in their life. So in order to help teens and families, it's important that we first identify and know what your strengths are. How is it that you like to connect with teens? Is it every Tuesday night on the basketball court, because you're the athletic, um, active, go-getter, you know, youth guy? Then we may want to include some other adults in ministry that are not the athletic youth guy. If you recruit all of your youth leaders from Tuesday night's basketball team in the open gym, then we're only going to be reaching and connecting a certain percentage of our youth group. Well, but everyone in my youth group are jocks. Great but we're also not um, opening up opportunities for other people to connect to. Sound familiar? So just we want that diversity, but I think it's important to know how do you connect? Do you connect face-to-face? -face? Do you connect more comfortably behind your cell phone screen? Um, what kind of style is it that you connect best with? Is it at these events because you're away and you're able to focus solely on them with no other distractions? Or are you able to connect every, every morning before work starts for you because you have an early commute to beat traffic? So you send a lot of emails and inspirational spiritual messages at 7.30 to 8 o'clock. I mean, what is it? How is it that you connect best with kids? So it's important to know that about yourself because you'll be able to identify some limits and boundaries that you have just in how you were created to be. Understand the normal development and current culture. So I can stand here today and say that there's times with my own spouse, I'm like, my goodness, our son is so sassy. And that he has to remind me as a teacher, yes, but that's also, he's 14. He's changing his, oh, yes, yes, I should know this. I teach about this, right? But sometimes that reminder of, is this normal behavior or is this some, some triggers, some signals that we need to be more attuned to because it's um, out of the norm for our child? or you know, more withdrawn? Is that because um, something's happening that he's not talking to us about? Or do we just need to disregard it because it's normal team behavior? So it's important that we become students 
of our students and learn about them and also learn about youth culture to understand what is kind of normal behavior um, and what would be the warning signs. Avoid being an ostrich or a busy bee. Okay, so can all of you take your phones and just look at them? Where's our head? Down, right? So there we go, look up now. So we're either, if we're an ostrich or a busy bee, it means we're not focused on what's going around us and it means that we're not accessible and available. So in order to create an, an environment or an atmosphere where students will want to, to share with you or be comfortable sharing with you, we need to be available. Um, Oftentimes we hide our heads or we're busy because then we don't have to deal with any of the hard stuff, right? We're going to be busy right up to the moment of youth group or Bible study, and as soon as it's over, we've got to clean up and we've got to process this and we've got to work on that. So there's just no chill time. And so that, you know, I can think back in ministry, and when some of the biggest bombs were dropped, we'll call it that, when some of the biggest bombs were dropped on me from a student would be in the most awkward times that you expected. But it's because I was available. I was walking to the restroom. Or I'm putting things in my pocket about to get in the van to drive them three hours somewhere. You know, that's when the bombs get dropped um, because you're, you're available, right? And accessible for that. Um, it's important to think about what is your mission and how does that dictate how you respond to the issues that teens face today. So what is your mission? Um, what is your goal? Are you making this all about you? And I say that hopefully to trigger some of you in this room, but is, is teenagers sharing crises in their life with you make you feel important because they're sharing it with you? What is your mission? I've met a lot of adults. I've struggled through this myself early in ministry where I felt like, the youth had to tell me what was happening in their life. I'm their DCE. They have to tell me all their, their deepest, darkest secrets, and I can help them, right? And we know that that's a myth. It's not true. And so are we making this all about me, or am I serving Christ by being available to how I can help them? And so how do we turn that around? It's important to know and teach God's word and way when working with our students and relying on his power first and last because there's not a darn thing we can do to fix these kids, okay? We really can't fix it. It's not a short-term fix. So keeping that guidance and redirection on Christ and knowing that we are his vessel in supporting and being there for our students that are hurting. It's important in ordinary things, modeling a different way for kids. What I mean by that is that sometimes, um, we'll scratch that. What I mean by that is how many of you have heard the theory or the thought that you should have a married couple working with your teenagers to model a healthy marriage to our teenagers? Has anyone heard that before? See, I see some, a little bit split. What do you think about that? Got to be real to him, right? So there's not one way that's the best way, but what I know is important as well is the diversity of that. If it's just the Tuesday night jock club that hangs out with your youth group, that's not going to meet everybody's needs. And we can't meet everyone's needs, but we want to offer diversity, right? It's like fishing. The more you put out there, the more you might catch. I don't know. I don't fish, but I've heard that saying, and I just messed it up, right? Um, I know... 
for my own for my own family, my two oldest boys that are here, they are friends with two boys the exact same age whose father passed away about a month ago, and they had their their friends had about three month notice that dad was going to die, um, meaning from when he was diagnosed with cancer to then he actually passed away, and so ministering to my own children and how to support their friends in this um, was an and an experience that was very different than doing it for other people in ministry, because this is out now in my home, right? Um, but modeling a different way for kids, ordinary things, I die in that story because I was able to help my own children know, and they'd say, how, how do I support my friend? Should I text them? Should I call them? And I said, sure, just send the text that says, how you doing today? And you can leave it at that, or hey, wanna, wanna play Fortnite later? whatever, right? Um, but kind of some normalcy. So we'd have the boys over so that the mom could process things with the family multiple times. And it was just like normal day at the Duport house. It wasn't, okay, come in and we're going to set the mood and we're going to light candles and we're going to talk and pray and put things on the wall. No, like let there be some ordinary time when there's crises going on. Sometimes normalcy is all they want and all they need. I remember after my f internship completed, Starting at a new call the next year, the family that I had come the closest to over that year, whose father was also diagnosed with cancer while I was there, passed away like a month after I left. And there was no questions asked. I was on the next plane. I was there, back in Boise, Idaho. And the mother said to me, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm like 22 years old, right? No classes, no life experience, okay? And basically, I just kind of just lived life with the teenage daughter and son for the next three days. And the mother said to me, that was the best thing you could have done because you let Kenny and Nicole experience normal life. Just be normal with them. And through that, there was lots of tears, lots of crying, uh, those, those opportunities when you least expected it that they would want to share. Um, and the mom was really worried, like, Kenny hasn't cried yet. What do I do? I said, it'll come. He'll cry in his own time. Sure enough, after everything was over, a couple days later, breakdown, and kind of preparing parents for that too. But kind of giving those kids that are in crisis or mode, they need some normalcy as well. And doing ordinary things, modeling something different for kids can also mean the reminder that we know what they're being faced with every day. We know what's being communicated, and this seems normal in social media. So we can model something different in the church that's simple and ordinary. And it could be having an older couple that's married for 55 years coming and being part of a relationship just to model what genuine love and understanding looks like because they don't see that. If we have a community of children who are used to being raised by grandparents or by single moms, then maybe all women in your youth ministry might need to look a little bit different so that they can experience some male role models in their life. So what does your makeup look like? And how can you give them some simple, ordinary things by looking at that dynamic of your group? And the power of relationships, it's important to have fun. If you're always kind of uh, begrudgingly getting in the van and yelling at your kids, I told you all to stand over here, get out of the street. I heard that at NYG yesterday. Or get out of the way, da, da, da. Yes, we're all tired, we're all cranky, but um, let's have some fun and let's spend the time together because time can equate fun. You're tired, you want lights out, but maybe they just need 20 minutes to decompress in your hotel room and be silly 
before you send them their way just to regroup them because they got a lot going on. And so it's just give them that chance to be silly or to whatever to get it out and they can feel loved and touched and affirmed so that they can get on with their night. And yep, okay, y'all cringe when I said touched, but you know, give them a hug before they go to bed, you know, and love on them and you're like, you just get them in that, in that place they need to be, but spending time with them. Sharing your personal experiences and being transparent, thank you, that's being real and talking with them, and it's important we understand what those boundaries look like when we do share our own experiences with students. So that takes us to healthy boundaries and realistic limits. When counseling teens, where, when, and how often is that happening? If youth worker Steve is getting texted every Monday at three o'clock because, um, um, whatever name, little Lydia, whatever her name is, um, just is out of school and wants to text youth worker Steve because she's 14 and he's a hot 25-year-old, um, that could become inappropriate, right? If every day, how you doing? I don't, how was your day, Lydia? Oh, it was great, but you know, my friends, this and that, harmless conversation, but it's, it's maybe an unhealthy boundary. So youth worker Steve has a couple options. Youth worker Steve can set up times of accessibility, times of availability, even communicate that to his students. Like, hey, from three to five, I'm in the youth room on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I'd love for you to come by and have some homework time, some help. We'll have different people there so you're not, all, you're not alone. But that also can turn into prime time to counsel teens that need to talk. Maybe they don't need to work on their trigonometry. They just need to talk to you, but you've got other adults on hand that maybe that's just the casual time you're like, hey, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, or maybe it's just Mondays, whatever it is, you know that that's not when you're going to be balancing the budget, that's not when you're going to be planning the new summer program or NYG details or booking reservations. Maybe that's when you're just looking through different types of resources online that you can be interrupted. Maybe that's when you're updating your social media account because that's a good time to work on that. So whatever that time frame looks like, make that something that can be communicated to your students as an option, as a suggestion, that you're not alone with them on property, that if you work in the office, the secretary's there, the pastor's there, and you commit for that accountability that you're not alone, or that you say, hey, we're gonna meet at the local pizza place, we're going to meet at Starbucks, um, I'm going to be available for this hour. Come in, stop by. Um, I would go to the students' high schools once a month, and I would meet across the street at the Taco Bell or the pizza place or the burger place. And I did that intentionally every month at the different high schools in our community. And I'd just call it lunch bunch with your DCE or whatever. And I'd be there waiting, ready. Sometimes two would come, sometimes 12 would come. They could bring their friends during their lunch break. Depends on your community, depends on their school, off-campus rules. And you were just there. And it's that accessibility, openness to build relationships, but also public and also a set schedule for that. Um, keeping records and documentation, jotting down what's kind of being talked about later in either on your phone that's private or in a locked drawer in your office. Um, it might be years, it could be months, there could be something that happens with that student that looking back, maybe there were some signs. Um, but it also can refresh your memory in regards to, oh, I can't remember what was happening with Lydia's family, but she talked to me about that six months ago. Let me go back and check my notes. 
okay? Documentation is important. Also paying attention to your gut. Internet may not be true. Okay, good. You agree with me. The internet may not be true. Um, ask more questions. Help those students to see dangers and what does Jesus think through this. That's not to be cheesy with the whole what does Jesus think, but depending on your crisis, depending on what issue these students are sharing with you, it gives you an opportunity to ask questions and kind of redirect. Because remember, this oftentimes is just them verbalizing and needing an adult, a trusted adult to talk it out with. And you don't need to come up with a solution. You're listening. You're just listening. It's a face because they don't interact that way. And it could be on text, and I would advise you to get away from the texting counseling and move into a face-to-face -face opportunity that's public and set time. I'm sorry that you had a rough day, Lydia. I'll be in the office till 5 if you want to come over and chat. And then it's an open door or you're in a space where there's windows and people can see you. You let the church secretary know or the pastor that Lydia's coming and you're going to be in this room because you stay at your, at your desk where you can see. Those types of things. That's to protect yourself as well. Okay? It could be nothing. It could be nothing. Right? But we always want to be cautious of that. Um, consulting with others. Who are the licensed Christian counselors in your community? One of the first things that we tell our students to do when they start their internship is to find out by asking their pastor, who do we refer people to at our church? If a family is struggling or an individual and we cannot help them beyond our you know, initial three to four, maybe five conversations, that's the stopping sign. We need to refer them elsewhere. So if you don't know who that is, then I would, that's your homework assignment, is to talk to your pastor, and he may not know, he may say, oh, I have no idea. That's a really good question. Well, just have him come talk to me. Well, is your pastor a licensed therapist, licensed counselor? I'm going to say probably not. But it's okay to still have that conversation with him because he might just want to know what's going on with the family. And it is important to let our pastors know, just to be aware of, hey, Lydia's been texting me every day. And I've been encouraging her to come and meet with me here because I want to make sure that nothing wonky happens or is, is assumed. But what do you suggest I do next, Pastor? Who can I, you know, if she shares something really deep that's beyond my training, what do I do? Who can I refer her to? So having that information is extremely helpful. Even going to the extent of meeting that Christian counselor and having a conversation, introducing yourself. But you definitely want to have the church leadership and support of the fact that this is where you'll be referring people to. Or you may find out, oh, we've been there, done that, and we don't like what that Christian counseling organization does. So we refer people over here. So I wouldn't go rogue and just do it on your own. It's always important to talk with your pastor. He does know more about those families and like more connections and networking in the community than you probably do. Um, or if he's new, you can help him learn some of those connections as well. Um, it was asked last time I did this about confidentiality, and I will always say, and I'll say it again here for you, that it is important to um, keep that confidentiality with your student, but to let that student know above anything else, if there's any um, concern or um, threat to themselves or to other people, that you are going to report that. You are going to share that with the pastor. And depending on your role, if you are a youth worker, a DCE, commissioned ordained minister, that you're a teacher, that you are responsible 
to report that, a mandated reporting uh, reporter. So you can check and, and Google, Google fact check what your state's mandated reporter laws are and check that out and so inform yourself to be aware and then also talk with that about the rest of maybe the volunteers working with the youth at your church. Um, but it's always a good idea as well to kind of from time to time, hey, you know, Lydia's been coming and meeting with me every Monday at Starbucks and she told me last week that there's something going on with mom and dad. Not really sure, and pastor could sit there and already know, because maybe he's counseling the parents. Pastor's not going to tell you that, but you've just given the pastor an important piece of information that this is infecting the children, and maybe mom and dad thought they were keeping it private, but it's impacting the children. Or the pastor may turn to you and say, thank you so much for letting me know that, because yeah, mom and dad are going through some big stuff, and yeah, I'm going to need you to be more involved with me, with the family. And so it's a good teamwork um, for you to have with your pastor. So again, we always want to let them kind of know what's going on, spare them from details, um, because that's the confidentiality piece, but just kind of a heads up as to what's happening. Yes. Okay, so if you need to involve the police department, you act for, ask for something called CIT, and the police department will know what that is. I have seen police be a lot more involved with domestic issues about this, um, and with texting and sexting and bullying, the police departments are, in Orange County, very engaged, very involved with what's happening. Right. Cover your basis. And this kind of stuff, you know, it's you go back and you talk with your pastor about that and say, I've got some questions. There's a lot of information. I've got some questions about how do we do things here at St. John's or how would we respond to a crisis in the future? And give your pastor a chance to marinate on that. So don't expect him to know all the answers. Oh, yeah, I just have never told you. But give him a chance to marinate on that and say, here's the questions I have. And can we meet again in a couple weeks to kind of follow up on that? Your pastor will appreciate the time. Um, and then also that you're not walking out going, gosh, he didn't know anything. Oh, my goodness. What? A, huh. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's a lot of stuff. And there's a team um, that can help process through steps to handle these situations in your ministry. Um, encourage, always encourage the students that are bringing an issue to you to talk to their parents about this. You may know the answer. It doesn't hurt to just continue to say that. Have you talked to your parents about this? I'll go and help you talk to them, okay? I'll wait for a phone call. When do you think you're going to talk to your mom and dad? Tomorrow? Oh, they're on the business trip. Okay, the weekend? Great. Then I'll wait for a text or phone call from you by Sunday night? Perfect. And just let me know that you've talked. And then you cannot forget to just hold them accountable to follow up maybe Monday morning and say, how did it go? Were you able to talk to them? You know, you're that spiritual accountability of just helping them connect to their families of support 
and for those trusted adults in their life. That doesn't mean that you ride their case through the weekend. Have you done it yet? Have you done it yet? Da, 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 da. We don't want to be that nagging adults. Because remember, it's not about you. You're there as a vessel to encourage them towards the healthy support that they need from the adults God's put in their life. To a parent, I don't know about this, but I'll give you the name of a counselor. So we don't have to have all the answers. And um, like I said, we... As DCEs, we are not trained therapists or counselors either. And so it's a matter of caring for the individual spiritually through that journey, whatever that may be, through rape, through suicidal tendencies, through dark depression, through cutting. We are caring through deaths. We are caring through them spiritually through the entire thing. But we are not the replacement for the professional help that they need with the mental health that may be happening in their life. We need to connect them to a place that is trained and has the insight and the specialty to do so. So finding out what your church can do or may start doing to support that, even helping fund that. Um, a lot of families have said, well, we just can't afford that. Well, let's work with you. Let's get you the help that you need. Yes. And that's where you meeting that Christian counselor and having a conversation about that. Um, you can say, hey, I've met this individual and I really liked them. I think you'd be comfortable with that. They have men and women there. So Johnny, I'm gonna have you meet with the male. I would encourage Lydia, you should meet with the female. You know, um, but having, you're kind of the middle person to help give comfort to the individual and the family to where you're now passing off that responsibility. So here's what you can expect and what you can and can't do. Can't control how fast or what direction it goes, so you can use teachable moments. Um, anger, denial, over-dependence, fear, sadness. Now, old coping mechanisms are always going to fail, but we can offer God's hope, comfort, peace, love, guidance, and help mobilize some support systems for our students. What about the effects in the group? Well, informing families, listening to feelings, offering God's hope, and studying his word do something practical to get back to normal. Gave you some examples about that. But what about the effects on you? Know your role. You cannot fix people's problems, okay, by trying harder, by being more involved. Well, I should have just asked this question. I should have been there. Um, watch your involvement level and take care of yourself. If your bucket is empty, then you need to be refilled so that you have something to give other people or this will suck the life out of you as well, okay? Um, the effects on you as well, one quick story. I remember um, about five years in ministry, I knew that one of the students coming with us to the NYG had had an abortion. I knew it. There was no social media back in those days, just dinosaurs and pterodactyls. <laughs> and I knew that she had had one. The other students were talking about it. Adults had told me about it. I tried to open every door of communication so that she would tell me her pain. And she never wanted to tell me. She didn't open up. And, you know, I can't say, oh, I know what happened. Don't you want to talk about it? That's what I wanted her to do. I wanted her to do that for me. But that's not what she needed. And I talked to the retired pastor in our community who actually opened up a counseling agency. And I said, can you believe she hasn't told me this yet. Yeah, I knew it all. <laughs> and I'm like, I, can't, I, I, know, I know that this happened to her. I can help her. 
And he looked at me, and I'll never forget what he said because it ticked me off. <laughs> but he looked at me and he said, she doesn't owe you anything. She doesn't owe you anything. It is her pain to share with who she wants to share it with. And that was a humbling moment for me to realize that this is not about me. We know it, we preach it, right? We share it, we learn it all the time, but it was, ugh, check yourself. It's not about you. And so when you're at the NYG and she's two chairs away, bawling her eyes out because you've got the abortion survivor, uh, Gianna Jensen, on stage, right? And I'm like, I'm right here. Like, I'm right here. I'll walk back with her. Maybe she'll talk to me on the way to the hotel. You know, I'll open every opportunity. Nope. And you know what? There were other adults that she confided in and that could minister to her. And I had to be okay with that. So that's a big check yourself moment that you may have a new youth helper that all the students are drawn to and you find yourself saying, well, what am I? Don't they know that I've been working my tail off for years to make this happen? Why do they like him more than me? So it's knowing about yourself so that you can keep those healthy boundaries as well and not let it become about you. This is about who the students need and who they're able to share and get the support from. But it is important that everybody on your team can go along these same lines. Because you don't need youth worker Steve getting, going rogue out here with Lydia, okay? And then seeing stuff, selfies at Starbucks every Monday at three. That would be questionable, right? So we need to look at that too. Um, I think we're on the last slide. So legal, ethical, biblical guidelines. Sin leads to repentance, leads to forgiveness, consequences. You have homework. Check out the story of David and Nathan. But here's the key. Following biblical guidelines does not replace legal requirements. Well, our pastor knows, so it's okay. No, pastor is a mandated reporter. We need to handle this. If there's, um, if there's bullying going on, there's sexting going on, there's legalities with minors, like those are the legal authorities. We've got to get involved here. Youth and illegal activities, talking to parents, working with the group, keeping line of communication open. Know the difference between abuse and neglect. Know the signs. Do your homework. If you can Google everything these days, what are the signs of abuse in a teenage girl? What are signs of neglect of a child? If a girl comes to youth group every week with greasy hair, does that mean she's neglected? And you could, you could say the whole thing to Siri, okay? You're going to get information. Now, that doesn't mean that we use Wikipedia as our number one source of all things gospel truth, but there are avenues and ways for you to inform yourself, to be informed about what's happening and know some signs. When and who to tell, we talked about that, and also paying attention to the power differentials. Youth worker Steve is in a position of authority. So youth worker Steve is giving attention to Lydia. Youth worker Steve is harmless. You love the guy, right? But youth worker Steve could be getting set into a pattern that some maybe poor choices could begin to happen. So we need to be aware of those power differentials in working with our youth and also the adults that we help work with our youth. So I'm sorry we're going to skip these case studies because my YAV is saying wrap it up, Professor Duport. Um, 
please uh, email me. I'd be happy to send these to you, or I'm going to figure out how to post them somewhere. I'm not really sure about that, but I'm happy to email this to you, and these are some case studies that you can process through with your group and have discussion about, you know, what are some, what do you think about Hannah's situation, what factors might put her at risk, and how do you address something like that? So we've got some scenarios for you here. But in wrapping up our time, let me just leave you with this. So it's late, it's the fourth watch of the night, the waves are buffeting the boat, they're pretty far from land, and Jesus sees them struggling and he goes to them. The disciples see Jesus walking towards them on the water. They don't understand what's going on, they think it's a ghost and are afraid. Jesus immediately says, don't be afraid, but Peter's not quite there yet. He wants Jesus to prove himself. In his 100% way, he asked Jesus to call to him to walk on the water to him. And Jesus says, come. Peter got down out of the boat and walked on water. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And, be and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And the wind died down. And then those in the boat worshipped him. So I share this with you today with the following passages here from Psalm. So we wrap up real present God and are ministering to our youth that have been given to, to our care from Christ's flock. And ultimately, our goal is helping them keep their focus and where they're supposed to go. We are in the boat with them, guiding them to the lighthouse. And so when we are ministering to our youth in crisis, that is our role and our responsibility, okay? We are with them, we are with them on this journey, and we are guiding them to the Lord and Savior, ultimately the help and the salvation that they can receive and the help that is, is maybe needed for them, okay? Um, I will be available in the hallway, and I have a helper, Carrie Donahoe, is gonna be out there with a couple things for you. She will... I have my business cards up front that I'll have one of you run back there as well. And a quick little commercial um, at Concordia Irvine in California. We have one goal and three paths for DC certification. We are the only Concordia in our synod, in our system to provide this. We offer a master's in theology with DC certification, a second bachelor's degree in Christian ed leadership with DC certification, and also a bachelor's degree in Christian ed leadership with DC certification, and it is all online. So we would love to have you be part of our community and our family. As we, uh, I actually have one of our first graduates, Josh, put your hand up. Josh Schmidt uh, graduated from us about three, four years ago through the master's in theology program and is faithfully serving now in one of the Dakotas, right, Josh? South Dakota from Iowa, so online. And he can answer questions too about the program. So thank you so much for your time and I'd love to get to know more of you, thanks.